Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. A special thank you to both Addie and Donnie for that message. Very kind of you both. Of course, they're speaking of the 100th episode, which, not counting the bare-bones episodes, a failed venture I tried early on, is only 21 short episodes away. So perhaps we should plan something huge for the 100th. Does anyone have any suggestions? I want to welcome everyone to the next to last episode of Season 4, and what an episode it's going to be. Before we launch into our stories, though, I want to remind everyone about Monsters Among Us Beyond. For those that missed it on last week's episode, Beyond is an idea I'm kicking around that will allow listeners to get an extra two episodes a month for the low, low price of a dollar per episode. The goal here is twofold, the first part being that the show needs to generate some revenue. I spend a ton of time each week on the show, in addition to the nearly $100 a month in bills, just to keep everything running. And the second goal is to avoid annoying commercials and ads. So this seemed like the best option to me. But in order to make all this work, I need numbers. And that is where you come in. I've recently posted a short survey on the website that basically allows me to gauge interest in this little idea. So if this is something you think you'd go for, two bucks a month for two extra episodes, please head over to monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash beyond. That's B-E-Y-O-N-D. And fill out the short survey there. It really shouldn't take more than about 30 seconds to complete. This is the final week I'll be asking for this information. This time next week, I will evaluate the responses, and if the numbers are there, I'll put things in motion. I should add that I've noticed a decent number of entries already, so... Thank you to all those that have done so. Alright, enough of all that. Let's get on with tonight's show. Hey, bud. So I'm actually listening to Season 4, Episode 17 right now. And there's a lady who was training for a marathon and running through forests and described something she saw. Well, I noticed... Her description fits like exactly what people call the hat man, the shadow person with a hat. All right, man. Well, that's it. Have a good one. Thank you, caller, for that suggestion. Of course, he's speaking of Elise's call from episode 17 detailing a run-in with a strange hat-wearing something. While this is an interesting take, I couldn't help but perceive Elisa's call as something biological rather than ghostly. However, the caller does bring up an interesting question. Perhaps what she saw that morning was not an unknown cryptid nor a hermit, but something from the spiritual realm. 
I thought this was a fantastic opportunity to talk a little bit more about the Hat Man. So I dug up the following video from YouTube user Realm of Unknown. Stories and creatures that haunt the night, feeding upon the fears that we hold deep within. Many monsters around the world relate to what we know as the Boogeyman. One such entity would be that of Hatman. Many see the Hatman as actually being a shadow being, seen across the globe, infamously known for being a tall and lengthy entity wearing a hat, mostly described as wearing a long black trench coat and either a top hat or fedora. Those who experience the Hatman claim that he has no face, or at the very least, a blurred, shadowy version of one. Unlike many shadow creatures who are only seen a handful of times and for a split second or two, the Hatman seems to stay around for a prolonged period of time, while also being reportedly able to touch, assault, and even choke victims of its hauntings. Like shadow beings, Hatman is known to be seen around locations of hostility, negative emotions, and aggression, once again seemingly feeding upon the fear of those he affects, as those who experience his presence claim similar accounts. Some reports also have him with glowing red eyes or solid black and shadowy ones, meant only to instill more fear upon those who he visits. Many still do not know what or who Hatman truly is. Many continue to support the idea that he is simply a shadow being, while others sometimes relate him to being an angel or omen of death. The fact that people across the globe from several countries and cultures, having little to no connection to one another, having been experiencing Hatman for many years now, only adds to the mystery. Though really, what is he? What is he here for, and what does he truly want? Some say that Hatman is simply just an urban legend, something that is all too possible, as the power of suggestion and rumors can spread rapidly throughout communities, altering and changing throughout the years and generations, adapting to better suit the current state of minds in order to continue to feed upon the fears that we as humans commonly hold secret. But what do you guys believe the Hatman to be? Do you think that he is simply a shadow being or other sort of malevolent and evil entity? Or is he something much bigger? A common fear that we all hold in our minds, hoping to never encounter within our lifetime. And to put a nice little bow on this package, our first true call of the evening comes to us from James in Kansas with his very own Hatman experience. Hey, love the show. This is James from Kansas City. This is a story from 1987 when I was 10 years old. I know eyes and minds play tricks with dark spaces and shadows. Out of the corner of our eyes we see shadows or things move. I get that. But this was not my experience when I was 10. It was a normal weeknight. I went to bed like usual. Sometime in the night I woke up. I had to use the bathroom, so I did. Afterward, I grabbed a drink from the kitchen and walked back towards my room. As I walked, I had to pass the front door of the house. I often looked out of the front door window at night. Just curious, I guess. I looked out this night as well, but when I did, something caught my eye. My house was four houses up from the corner where there was a street light. And under that street light, there was a man, at least... That's what I thought back then. Soon I realized this not to be true. The figure was dark, and I couldn't really see any details but a hat. More or less just an outline, a shadow. This figure then started walking toward my house. 
Its walk was strange. It was slow and smooth. This person or whatever walked all the way to my house. To get to my door, you had to go up seven steps to our gate. And through the gate, have to go up four more steps to the porch and door. This thing climbed the first seven steps and stopped. Now we were about 20 feet away from each other. I could not see any clothes or other features as it seemed to be empty. Just dark and black, always looking down and the shape of the hat covered the face. This thing then looked to put a hand on the gate, although I didn't see the hand, and raised its head. There was no face, only reddish eyes. It seemed to know I was there and cocked its head like it was thinking or something. Then just like that, it backed down the steps, turned and walked across the street. There was a vacant lot straight across from our house and this thing walked into this lot and all I can say, it seemed to fade into the shadows. I stood there for another minute and then went to bed. This was my encounter with the shadow figure, the hat man. I have never put my stories out there, but I have a few I think will be good, and the ones I tell are the ones I really have no explanations for. Thanks again. Thank you, James, for submitting that call. A little side story regarding the Hat Man. I went to college at a state school in Ohio, and there was a theater there on campus that was reportedly haunted by a man called the Hat Man. He obviously earned his handle because he was always seen wearing a hat. I don't know if this particular ghost and the hat man we've been discussing were one and the same, but it always seemed to creep me out. I worked for campus security for a few semesters, and one of my jobs was to go building to building at midnight to lock each and every door. Locking up that theater was an especially nerve-wracking experience, to say the least. Thanks again, James, for that submission. Up next, we head to Idaho. This is Lee's call about his grandmother's strange final words. Good evening. My name is Lee. I'm from Idaho. I'm calling about a story that actually happened to my mom and grandmother um, right about 10 years ago now. Um, My grandmother and grandfather had lived well into their 90s, and uh, my grandfather had passed away a few years. few days prior to my grandmother seeing this apparition um she was in bed and uh she had been sick for quite a little while in fact we were pretty sure my grandmother was going to go before my grandfather my grandpa uh passed away very quickly very suddenly it surprised us all um so after the uh after his death uh, about two days later um my grandmother's in her bed. Um, my mom's laying down beside her, and my grandmother just got very agitated all of a sudden, extremely upset. Um, she's like, we've got to get up. We've got to go. Um, we've, got, we've got to get ready. We've got to go. Now, um, my grandmother and grandfather had spent many years um, playing in a musical band with her father and uh, the rest of her family and several other people. Um, Tex Williams was a member of their band for a little while. He was a famous person way back in the day. Um, They were offered to go to the Lawrence Welk show at one point, and um, it just ended up not happening. Um, But ultimately, they'd been in a band and touring the the West for many years. Their their name was the Reno Racketeers. Um, So my grandmother is 
laying in bed and she she just gets very agitated. We've got to go. We've got to get ready. Um, we've got to you've got to help me get ready for the show. She's saying this to my mom. My mom's like, what, what are you talking about? There's no show. Um, there's there's nothing for us to go to. Um, and my grandmother says, no, Ab, who was her husband, um, and dad and mom and Tex, they're all here. They're all waiting for me. They want to go to the show. Um, so a little later that night, my grandmother actually passed away quietly in her sleep. And uh, it was just an interesting story, something that uh, really touched my family because uh, it was such an important part of her life, such an important part of my grandfather's life. And it just goes to show they're still playing music up there in the great beyond. Thank you. And I absolutely appreciate I love this show. I, wa- I listen to it every morning on my way home from work and every night on my way to work. So I appreciate it very much. Um, thank you very much. Bye. Thank you, Lee. I really like stories like this. I'm not much of a believer in the afterlife, so when I hear things like this, it gives me just a sliver of hope. Of course, many will argue that when a person dies or begin to die, synapses in the brain begin to fire irregularly, which results in random memories popping up. In the case of Lee's grandmother, perhaps memories of a former show with her bandmates triggered her reaction. Yet others swear that information given is secretive in nature, and that the dying person would have no knowledge of the events they are describing. This story from my own grandmother is not nearly as poignant as what Lee described, but it made me think of it. Before she passed, my grandmother told me about the day that her mother had died. Apparently, my grandma got a call saying to get to the nursing home quickly because her mother was going fast. Once my grandma arrived in the room, my great-grandmother simply said, Oh good, you're here, and then quietly passed away. Now according to my grandmother, she hadn't had the time to even announce that she was in the room and my great-grandmother's eyes were never opened. Thank you again, Lee, for this touching story. I like to think your grandmother is still jamming away with her bandmates somewhere. Our next two calls are somewhat related, but you'll figure that out soon enough. Up first is Heather's call. Hi there. Um, My name's Heather. I'm enjoying the podcast. And wanted to call in. I unfortunately don't have any great monster stories or uh, paranormal activity to report, but I did want to uh, mention, and I would love to hear an episode on sleep paralysis. Uh, that is something that started happening to me um, some years back. Uh, my very first experience when I was 19. Um, that first experience was definitely the most intense. I uh, was not familiar with what was happening. I felt frozen. Um, I was asleep, but I was aware. Um, and during that episode, I could see light pouring through my blinds. Even though my eyes weren't open, I could see the light through my eyelids. Very bright light. Um, and that bright light was corresponding with a sound that I would explain as something like a siren or a horn and the louder that sound got the closer it sounded like it was getting to me the brighter the light seemed to get Um, I was able to have conscious thoughts during that situation my first thought was maybe it was something of a godly or spiritual nature um, and that it's something I shouldn't be afraid of but I almost immediately had a second thought of 
but what if it's what if it's not? What if this is some sort of uh, alien activity or something evil? That kind of made me freak out a little bit, and I started having a, kind of a panic episode of trying to get myself to wake up, which eventually I was able to. After that initial first sleep paralysis episode, um, I experienced sleep paralysis a lot throughout my 20s. Nothing was ever associated with the sirens or the horns or the light ever again. Um, most of the time it was just the fact that I was frozen and I was aware I was frozen and I would try to yell and I couldn't seem to get any sound out or I would try to thrash and my body wouldn't move. Um, there were a couple occasions where it felt like my body was kind of separating from itself or my, I guess, soul or being seemed like it was peeling away from my body. Uh, those times, again, I was always kind of freaked out and I was able to for lack of a better way to put it, suck myself back in. But um, I guess that's it. I just find sleep paralysis kind of fascinating. I'm thankful it doesn't happen to me as much anymore um, at the age I'm at now. But I definitely feel like there's something somewhat um, bizarre in nature over the experience. I know not everybody goes through it, but I think the people who have would understand what I'm saying and how... Uh, absolutely terrifying the experiences when you are having it. Um, and there is something once you wake up, there it feels like an evil presence. And I, I don't know if that's just because of the fear that you were experiencing while you were um, paralyzed or if it is actually some kind of evil force. Anyway, thanks. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Heather. Now, before I discuss, I thought I'd play an anonymous call from Texas that seemed to involve sleep paralysis. I just finished listening to episode 4 of season 8 and Ray's story reminded me of my own encounters which occurred over the span of 8 years in 3 cities. I would like to preface by stating that I am now and always have been a skeptic of the paranormal but these events did rattle me. The first encounter occurred on the night of my 13th birthday in my hometown of Grapevine, Texas. The day itself was normal, and after all the birthday activities, all of my friends went home except for one who wanted to stay over. Just as we were falling asleep in my room, me in my bed and my friend on the floor to my right, I heard the deepest, most guttural voice whispering my name in a hushed voice from the foot of my bed. I was paralyzed with fear. The voice had seemed to rattle every fiber in my body. It took me several seconds before I could move. My first instinct was that my friend was just trying to mess with me, so I asked if he had heard anything. He responded with, You mean the voice that just said your name? His voice was shaky. I thought you were messing with me, but it sounded like it came from the foot of your bed. I got up to turn on the light and saw we were the only two people in my room. I thought that maybe my dad was just trying to scare us, even though my bedroom door was locked. I walked down the hall to check my parents' room, and they were both fast asleep snoring. Additionally, my room was located on the second floor, so it couldn't have been anybody messing with us from the backyard. My friend and I spent the rest of the night too scared to sleep for fear that the disembodied voice would return. We never mentioned what happened to anybody. Four years later, around the age of 17, my family moved to Rome, Texas, about 40 miles from Mary Pine, and I had forgotten about the voice. One night while I was asleep, I awoke suddenly, out of breath and freezing, despite the fact it was July in Texas. 
When I looked around my room, there were dozens of black hooded figures, all circled around my bed and facing me and pointing. I tried to scream, but I couldn't. I could feel my heart beating in my chest, and that's when I woke up again, covered in cold sweat. I tried to control my breathing and focused my eyes in the dark. Three of the same figures remained in the far corner of my bed. I managed to scream, but one of the figures charged toward me and I blacked out. I woke up once more, jumped out of bed, and turned on the light. This time I was alone and actually awake. I had never had night terrors nor been a sleepwalker. It might have been a horrible nightmare within an even worse nightmare, but I couldn't shake the feeling and didn't sleep for several nights. My last experience occurred about four years ago when I was 21. I'd moved to College Station, Texas, 200 miles from Rome, and was attending school there. One afternoon, I was napping in my room, waiting for my friend to get there. During my nap, I woke up suddenly to the sound of my door being kicked open. There was a shadowy figure in the doorway. Thinking it was my friend, I asked, What the hell do you want? And in the same voice from my 13th birthday, the man responded, Don't worry about it, and slammed my door. I woke up about 10 minutes later and walked to my bedroom door, realizing it was still locked. My friend was sitting in my living room downstairs, so I asked how and why he had opened my door. He said he had just gotten there and set his dinner out to eat, but he did ask why I was slamming doors and stomping around before coming out of my room. Perhaps he was messing with me or I had been sleepwalking for the first time in my life, but I still have no idea how my door could have opened when it was locked. I don't know if these experiences are related to one another or if they're even experiences at all, but I thought maybe somebody out there has experienced something similar. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you to that caller as well. The first thing I'll say in response to Heather's call is that I actually do bring up sleep paralysis quite often. It seems that a decent chunk of the nighttime visitor calls I receive appear to be a result of the strange sleep disorder. And on to the call from Texas, I was quick to lump this call in with all the others I suspected were a result of sleep paralysis, but the caller had both experiences validated by a second party, both when his friend admitted to hearing the creepy voice, and by the other friend whom heard the slamming doors. So to me, that pretty much excludes night terrors as a cause for this activity. And given the number of locations this phenomenon has occurred, I dare say that someone or something might be following our caller. Thank you again for both of your calls. Our next story takes us out of the realm of ghostly activity and into the world of cryptozoology. This is Luigi's call from the Philippines. Hi Derek, here's another story of mine that might interest you. This happened when I was about 7th grade. As I've mentioned before, I also lived in a haunted house, but we moved plenty of times back home in the Philippines. This time we moved to a townhouse of three units together. We lived in the middle unit. The unit right of us had an empty lot next to it. The empty lot, with tall trees, thorny bushes, full of fallen leaves, it was also a garbage dumping ground. Bear in mind it was the third world, and garbage collecting, while a program was in place, isn't as strict or as organized like developed countries. Anyway, 
Because the townhouse unit was restrictive, my father, who liked doing horticulture, saw the empty lot as an opportunity for himself to make it a small garden. We cleaned up the majority of the lot, bushes gone, trash cleared, leaves sweeped up to a pile to be burned. He planted his small plants and also made a compost dump. All was well until one morning my mother, who started a habit of throwing out our leftovers to the compost pit of the empty lot, went there before dawn. As she was putting the stuff on the pit, she saw a black shadowy mass on the wall in front of her. The thing was so dark that while you see the outline of it, the rest was pure darkness. As she looked at it, she thought it was small enough that she thought maybe it was a dog. This black dog mass moved whenever she moved and followed her, but didn't move towards her. She got scared and went back home. In the afternoon, she told us the story, but we thought maybe it was just a street dog. Street dogs are very common back home. Sometimes, very late at night, you can hear them roaming and howling and chasing cats and people, so we disregarded the black thing as such. The next few days, though, I was the one filling the compost. It was evening. I went there, maybe anticipating the black dog mass, but never really thinking I'll see it. But I did. The thing was weird. It stayed near the walls, never approaching. It was a very dark, spiky thing, and whenever I moved, it followed in a left-right erratic sort of way. I ran back and told my mother I saw it too. We told my father about it, and he said maybe it was just a black street dog who took a liking sleeping there but he'll take a look next time a few days after we went out for shopping and got to our village late we were in the car and we went past the empty lot my father said he'll go check out the dog thing so we better come with him so we can verify the moment we got close to the wall we saw it again but it was bigger this time and it moved that weird erratic pace but never approached creepily dark like staring into the void. My father got closer, and that was when he shouted, It's your heads! We asked, what did he mean by that? He said, it's the shadow of our heads. <laughs> Turns out our neighbor had a new light placed outside, and it was casting a dim light on the wall. So whenever we got close to the wall, the shadow made by our heads makes an outline of a very dark mass. Whenever we moved, the shadow moved, and because I had a spiky hairstyle, that's why the black dog mass had spiky outline. That's how we discovered that what I thought was a scary, shadowy figure was actually a shadow figure of our own heads. We laughed about getting scared by literally our own shadows. I'm sending this because even if a person is prone to hauntings and stuff, like the ghosts to my family in our ancestral home, a healthy sense of skepticism can make us figure things that we might be too scared to figure out. This is the only ghost story I have experienced where I debunked it, so I hope you like it. Thank you, Luigi. This call is pretty amazing. It basically does all my work for me. Thank you so much for taking the time to investigate the activity you experienced. Sometimes the mystery is nothing more than a trick of the light. Thanks again, Luigi. I have one more story to explore, but before we do, let's get all this info out of the way. As Addy mentioned in the opening, I'm always accepting donations. 
All amounts are welcome and go toward paying hosting fees for the show, website hosting, phone lines, and equipment upgrades. To donate, simply go to monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the donate button. It's easy peasy. And speaking of donations, I had a few come in this past week, so I'd like to personally thank Nicole D., Richard E., and Matthew B. for their very generous and very helpful donations. You guys are heroes in my book. And you know what? If donating is not your thing, and I get that, I do have some Monsters Among Us t-shirts and can koozies available in the shop, which coincidentally can also be found on the webpage under the shop tab. Pick one of those up and help out the show as well. P.S. I'm starting to work on stickers and car decals, so hoping to have those available by the start of Season 5. I've received all kinds of hometown legend calls over the past week, but there's still time to submit yours. You have until the end of the weekend to send in your very own hometown legend. So if your county is known to be home of a Goatman, Frogman, Mothman, Bunnyman, or any other man-creature hybrid, I want to hear from you. Or perhaps it's something a little more ghostly, a revolutionary or Civil War ghost, or maybe a Wild West ghost. I want to hear all of those as well. So if you have something about your area you'd like to share, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. And go ahead and tell me all about it. Be sure to mention early on in the call that the submission is for the Hometown Legends segment so I know where to file it. I'm really looking forward to this season finale episode. Please continue to rate and review. It's very important for the growth of the show that we pile on those five stars and great reviews. Let's set a goal. I need 53 more to break the 300 mark. Let's do that before the start of Season 5. Lastly, please follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And that includes the very fun fan group on Facebook. If you need help, you can find links for each of these at the bottom of nearly every page on the website. Okay, let's get back to the show. Our final tale of the evening comes to us from our friend Steve in Australia. You may recall Steve's call about his doppelganger at a concert a while back. Well, Steve has returned with something even more trippy. Hi, Derek and Warren. Steve from Australia, and thank you for the wonderful podcasts. Now, this one probably happened in 1986. I was living in Brisbane in Queensland. I was in yet another band, and I was given free rent in a one-room studio under someone's house for some months. I was quite a gypsy at that time. The room was thickly carpeted on on, uh, all six surfaces and it had a a series of two thick carpeted doors and when either of those doubled up doors closed there was no daylight. It could be pitch black and dead quiet day or night and I didn't mind. Now one night sleeping in there I had a dream or an OBE or both. I'm not sure. I had a single mattress on the floor and I had been sleeping. I came to realize where I was in that room. I could feel not only my body on the mattress but the back of my head pressing down as well, which would be normal, except that at the same time I could see in the pitch black room clearly and I was not looking upwards, I was looking around. My point of view was as if I was upright my head just above the mattress 
like a ghost head and I had a rather panoramic view as well so all of that should be impossible. Now the next thing I became aware of a cat to my right and uh, I turned my attention to it. Uh, it was a really big bright orange cat with a happy disposition and it was talking to me. I can remember that I got the meaning without remembering a, a sound or a word of its meowing. It's really bizarre but it was a really nice interaction. She was super happy and upbeat and definitely letting me know that she was okay. Uh, she was saying goodbye, not to worry. That was the basis of the message. But then from further away to the left centre I saw light streaming in from the door. Um, now the mattress and the door, they were where they actually were in reality during this experience. Um, and the door in the experience was open with light coming in even though in reality that just wasn't what was happening. Silhouetted in the doorway was a menacing figure, a big dark man, and I knew immediately who it was. It was the figure of my father. Now, uh, I had not gotten along very well with my father and even now I don't. So I'm not sure how the experience ended after that then. Um, because it's so long ago but I know I went to sleep again and slept through the night. Now about four days later my mother called um, nobody had mobiles then so it must have been on the houses landline she talked about this and she talked about that and then at the end of the call she said oh by the way the cat's dead that's just how people speak in my family um, so notice, notice the cat didn't even have a name. Uh, anyway, I said, it happened Friday night. And I gave the approximate time. And she said, oh, you talked to your sister. I said, no, I had a dream. Um, my mum was a believer in a lot of things I came to know slowly, even though we never had conversations about it. And um, so she just accepted that I said I had a dream. Now... This is how the cat died. Uh, my mother told me that my father had heard the cat, cat howling the first time ever, apparently, about 2am, I think, and uh, so he we went outside and looked at it, decided it was going senile, and grabbed a shovel and, and beat it to death. So that's my dad. Now, that cat had been with us for many years, and it was not a great life, it was not a terrible one, just a pretty indifferent one. Um, I had felt a bit sorry for it before, but I did not feel close to it because I'm not really an animal person. However, um, I believe that the cat appeared to me in spirit form after it died and big and orange and happy instead of the skinny dark small pussy that she was, just to say goodbye and reassure me that she was going somewhere wonderful. That's the message uh, so many people report about spiritual visitations. Um, it's possible that being in that shielded, blacked out room helped uh, for this visitation to be remembered by me as well. I'm not sure. Uh, I also believe that I was asleep and then had a visitation and maybe dreaming can be incorporated in such a thing. 
or maybe I was in another realm. Um, it's strange that I don't remember visitations from people because I've known lots of people who've died, but um, the choices made by spiritual forces are just that. They're strange. They're random. So I don't know why that cat should come and visit me. So um, that's also my only memory of anything that was like an astral experience. Hmm. So that was 1986, probably. Um, and I'm happy to relate the story. I hope you enjoyed it. Keep up the good work. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Steve, for submitting yet again all the way from Australia. A little reminder to our foreign listeners, if you have a story to share but you don't want to pay the phone bill, which is understandable, simply record your story on your computer or phone and email it to me at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Now, as for Steve's story, I have a bit of a theory. Steve mentioned that the room he was staying in was completely dark and practically soundproof. These are two very important aspects to a sensory deprivation chamber, a room designed to allow users to experience out-of-body visions or even astral travel. Basically, when all other senses are cut off, your body begins to experience its surroundings in other ways, leading to what some believe to be an OEB or out-of-body experience. So my thought is this. Perhaps due to his environment, Steve simply hallucinated the events he described. To expound more on this theory, here's a portion of a video by YouTube user This Is Genius. Out-of-body experiences are one of the strangest unexplained medical phenomenon. To the people who experience them, they are incredibly real, despite not being physically possible. Individuals picture themselves rising out of their bodies, seeing the world working around them, exploring their surroundings and even being able to look at themselves from the outside. Many people suffer these experiences as a result of a traumatic accident. Others are able to experience the phenomenon at will. But so far, no one's been able to explain what the heck's actually happening. Until now, Andra M. Smith and Claude Messerioware from the University of Ottawa have, for the first time, made real-time scans of the brain of someone as they undergo an out-of-body experience. The pair analysed a woman who claimed to be able to have experiences at will, and her fMRI scan showed something remarkable. The visual cortex almost entirely shut down, but the part of the brain associated with kinesthetic imagery, which includes mental images of bodily movement, became super active. It was as though the woman's mental interpretation of space relative to her body was replacing her eyesight, which could explain the third-person nature of experiences. Of course, seeing what parts of the brain are active during an experience doesn't explain exactly what's really happening there, but it's hoped that the research will give a much-needed starting block to further investigation into, and eventually solving, one of the great medical mysteries. As always, links to each video used can be found in the show notes for this episode. So what I'm theorizing here is that with Steve's senses rendered useless, his brain substituted that missing information with internal information, not unlike the woman from the video. And of course, there is one problem with all this. The cat. How did he know that the cat had died? Was that part simply a coincidence, or was there something more to all this? And by the way, I might add, what a terrible thing to do to a living animal. Thank you again, Steve. 
I'm wondering if you could repeat any of your experiences if you had access to the room again. Something worth exploring, perhaps. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. A big thank you to Addie Lloyd for all her hard work on the show's fan page. And a huge thank you to Warren Bon Abbott. For those that don't understand what Warren does, I receive many written submissions. And to make things more interesting and to break up the monotony of my voice, Warren performs dramatic readings of these stories, several of which you heard tonight. So for those of you out there with a keen ear that have written in saying that someone out there is submitting stories under different names, no, that's just Warren working his magic. So thank you again, Warren, for all your help. Music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu, Anti-Tector, and Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. starts with an invitation to experience Lexus, to get behind the wheel, to go out on the open road, to feel a rush of adrenaline. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle, but it becomes an exhilarating experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open, but the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.